retrospectively so many things in your life just like it's just like a puzzle like it fits in so beautifully and the timing that you met now there it sounds like was like you needed that push and you needed that courage and you're the oldest so it's hard to get that with siblings as much as you want to but they're going through their own turmoil and then watching you in turmoil and you're like I can't lean on anyone else that way so you had him to lean on and that he was able to show you and open your mind and perspective to hey these are other options and some there's something to be said about how like calm cool and collected someone says it to like hey you could just do this that you're like can i can like I? they've never had to deal with the resistance of the alternative thoughts you know like they don't function from the point of fear or, or forced guidelines or restrictions, they function from a place of authenticity. And I had no idea what that was like until that moment. Yeah. And it's hard to learn. Like, what do I actually like? What do I actually want? Because you're oldest, you're the oldest. And so hard. You're not used to thinking for yourself. You're used to thinking from a perspective of, hey, this is what I was told is correct. And and now I have to look out for my siblings. So this is what I think is correct for them. And you don't yeah. give a lot of time or energy for your own for your own brain. No. And and to that point, I actually said to him the other day, I'm so appreciative that he is the way that he is. Because even now, when I said, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. Never once did this man say anything other than, okay. And I would be there being like, but you know, my business is still going to run. Like I I'm, I'm making sure like there's things that I am doing to, to provide income to us from my, from my shoes so that it's not all on your shoulders, but he never asked for me to do that. Isn't that fascinating that it's like, it's like this something inside you that's like, but I need to justify it. And, and like, hey, here's my justification. Like, I want to ask you because I've noticed this a lot, even especially recently where I'll wake up on the weekend. I'll be like, hey, so I, I think I'm going to do this, this and this. And then I'll take care of that. And then I'll take care of that. And then I need to do this, this and this. And Muzi, who is my husband, will look at me and be like, have your own day. Like, just do what you want with the day. And I'm Shocking. like, I'm like, well, uh okay and it's so like it's so freeing but also you have to learn like what do I do with this time and this energy that isn't being drained into sometimes really toxic family things yeah I I remember when I got married and, and moved into this apartment with him I cried so many times because I'd be like I can buy whatever I want and there's no one that I have to explain it to. Like I would, he would come home one day and like our entire apartment would have brand new furniture and I would have gotten rid of all of his old furniture and he would never say anything. He would just compliment it and say, thank you. And like be supportive. And I started crying, like even simple things like the groceries that I want to buy. I wasn't even used to like not having to explain or let someone know or ask or whatever. And it's not that my parents or my family was ever like, don't buy this, but it always felt like you have to run it by them. Even things like, I remember 
when I would hang out with him, I would have strict hours. <laughs> We've all been there, right? Yeah. And so like by by like 8 p.m., my mother's texts would start coming through being like, Beta, where are you? Why aren't you home? And I'd be like, mom, I literally left the house at 6.30. Like it's like, what could I have accomplished? It's like half an hour to get to downtown, half an hour hang out, and then half an hour later, you expect me home? Like that's just... And I remember going out with him now there after we got married and I would cry being like this time last year that we went to like this event, I was watching the clock. I was checking my phone out of anxiety. I was so fearful of like, like someone going to see us. Yeah. Do I have to rush home? Like, oh my God, the freedom to not have anxiety and to just live the freedom to be like, when my mom calls my answering her call in bed, like in the morning or like while I'm making steady for my husband, what? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. It's like, it is such a freeing feeling. And, and also once you're removed from your family home unit, you're it takes some transition, but everyone doesn't dump on you anymore. They yeah. see you as a separate entity. And it's that itself, when I was at home, whether my siblings made their problems my problems or not, whether my parents made their problems my problems or not, it was always my problem. And then I moved from that and I'm like, but it's so quiet. It's so quiet. What do I even do? The times, the answering the phone calls, the, you know, there is something I read once and I, I want to ask you about your marriage story to now there, but I wanted to share this with you because I think it'll resonate with you. I read something once that said, psychologically, those of us that grew up in households where there was like a fear of a dad or just, just even of their presence, it, it wasn't even necessarily anything deeper than that, but just they're coming home and what do I have to get done before they're home? The, those of us that have had that, there's a certain hour of the day that we grew up dreading. And yeah. You grew up dreading that hour for so many years that you'll notice that a lot of us do better in the morning or like in daytime because it's a little bit more freeing. And when the evening or like 5, 6, 7 p.m. rolls around, you just don't know what to do with yourself. I have that all the time. I'll have this like internal block where I'm like, I don't know, I feel anxious or I can't even when I have my anxiety attack, it's always in the evening. Yeah, you're right. For me, it's 530 which is like the time that my parents' office ends. And I know they're coming home. It's 5.30. Isn't that crazy? Like you don't I, even realize how much that stuff impacted yeah. you on a day-to-day -day basis. No, and I'd never heard of that theory, but it makes so much sense. I'm sure people can resonate with that. Yeah. So, okay, I want to ask you, so you and Nader, and if you're comfortable talking about this, you had a really beautiful wedding. And today's your wedding anniversary, I think. It was actually yesterday. I, okay. I, I'm late to posting, so I posted today. Happy late wedding anniversary, two years yesterday, right? And we're recording this a little bit early, guys. So her wedding anniversary was about two weeks ago. But you had a bittersweet process. You had this beautiful wedding, but it sounded like it was rushed. And it was it was a decision that just happened. Can you walk us through that, how it happened? Yeah. Coming off, you know, everything that happened career-wise, where I went from being the golden child that was made an example for everyone of the kids in the community to then doing something so ridiculous to everyone, which was quitting medicine. Who does that? I then had the audacity to want to choose who I married. 
And I was adamant that it was going to be Nather. And I went about it in a really like halal way. And I give myself kudos for that because I, when I met him online, I like immediately asked my mom permission to go hang out with him. Even like she knew exactly where I was. She said, okay, go like she was, you know, supportive of it. But the hiccup was that Nather's not a doctor. And if anyone can relate on this, let us know. But because I was a doctor, even if I was no longer working as a doctor, the expectation was that I would marry someone who was also a doctor, partially because of just like, it was perceived that we would get along better. It was also like, the perk was that same theory of like a a guaranteed income, like all those very traditional concerns kind of set me up for that expectation. And I knew that. And I entertained a lot of doctors. I did things, you know, the way that I were, was traditionally expected of me for a long time. I did all the, I did all the messiness of that. And they were all such awful scenarios that then I was like, I'm going to take this under my own wing and go join a dating app. (laughs) Cause how else do you meet someone these days? That's how I met Nather. But the problem was that was not received well because of him being a businessman and not a doctor. And my stubbornness to only entertain him was also not received well. But where I was coming from and only wanting to, you know, entertain him was why would I date multiple people at the same time? Like what was expected of me was okay, fine, like see where this goes with this person, but also entertain this rishta, this rishta, and this rishta. And I was not going to do that to him. How soon into meeting Nader did you know, like, he's definitely the one I'm going to marry? I had a feeling that there was something truly special about him the moment that I met him in person. But when I knew that I, I wanted to marry him was three months in. Wow. And even within those first three months, I was still very clear of, okay, I've gotten permission to like, get to know this person. Like everything is very above board. I'm trying to do this properly, but I was still expected to entertain other people. And I refused to do that. Just like I would have been heartbroken if Nather was entertaining other women. I wanted that respect to be paid in both directions. I don't have the time, first of all, or the brain capacity to entertain like multiple men at the same time. And secondly, it would have been disrespectful. And thirdly, I really liked him and I wanted to see it play out. So it did not go over well um, that I was so adamant, but my mom came around. It was my dad who was still not talking to me, would not have anything to do with my life. And I needed him to let me get married. So it got to a point where years and years had gone by and you know, things were not progressing in any halal sense, even though I was trying for it so bad that the conversation around, you know, how long do we wait before we just get married so that we can live a halal life? 
And it got to the point where we were ready to elope. We were ready to do whatever we needed to do to move on because it didn't feel like there was ever going to be a relief to this fight because no one would even have a conversation with me. And all I wanted was to be above board. All I wanted was for my father to give me away. And the, the delay was just excruciating. And I kept saying to them, look, like, you know, I don't have to get married. Like if no one's ready for me to do that for whatever reason, I don't have to, but that does not mean that I'm going to marry someone else. So then why put it off? Just let me live a halal life. And somehow there came a turn of events where my dad and I had a conversation around how much animosity was between us, how much it was actually affecting both of our health, how much it was just not worth it to fight every time we saw each other and to battle on this constantly. And he agreed to give me away, which is what I was asking for. So in the middle of COVID, we had the smallest, most hush-hush, planned within three weeks, COVID wedding between my parents and siblings, now there's parents and siblings, and the imam. And that was it. And how did Nader's family feel about this? Nader's family, I feel like they this was meant to happen because I could not have found myself a more understanding family. They're not a family that ever judged my family for feeling how they felt. They never made me feel bad about it or made me feel responsible for any of it. His mom was so supportive of me. She was the shoulder that I cried on when I was just so heartbroken that I didn't have my father's approval. And she was the one who would always say, if you guys want to be together, if you want this halal life, elope, it's okay. Like we can figure it out. Like one of Nader's uncles can give you away. Like we can figure out a different, you know, way around this if it's what you want. They tried so hard on their part to really make sure that there was no tension between families and it was not easy, but they were so pure and so kind, never said a bad word about my family, never encouraged me to do anything less than be abundantly respectful. They were just sent to me from God. And I know this for a fact. I'm so happy you had that support. Like you're making such tough decisions, the right decision, but that doesn't make it easy. You know, it's your parents. It's a really complicated dynamic. And I'm I'm just so glad that you had somebody in your corner to be like, hey, it's okay, whatever. And the respect for your parents, that's a big one, that they were still very respectful. That's one thing that even I pride myself on. And I encourage, you know, like when my sister goes through something or my cousins, I say to them, no matter what, navigate with respect. Because the one thing that you will not let someone do, if you are going to be audacious and go the life that people aren't ready to receive, the one thing you're not going to do is ever let them question your respect. You are always going to come out of every situation smelling like roses. You will not ever give anyone ammunition to say that, you know, you did this or you were disrespectful or like, 
you know, if you have a, a change in your character because you're frustrated and fighting for this thing that you want against resistance, that thing is going to be made the problem and the cause behind your shifted character. The like their normally well-behaved daughter is now acting this way. It will get blamed on that situation or that person that you're fighting for. So never give anyone the opportunity to do that. And I feel like that was why I got to this point where amicably everything was so resolved somehow. And I, I, I feel it's because I navigated with respect no matter what. I think that's great advice. The navigating with respect is, it's so tricky in Desi households. It's so tricky because there's a lot of triggering that happens. It's like, because our parents weren't taught to communicate well, it's so hard when you're learning yourself how to communicate well. And then you have your parents who are like, no, 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 I'm just going to I'm comfortable making this uncomfortable and I'm comfortable pushing boundaries and you have to be the person to not only absorb it all, but also not push back and just stand your ground in a respectful way. I struggle with that a lot so that you were able to do it respectfully. I think that's great advice. Yes, you took steps that were right for you, but you did it in a way that no one could turn around and point a finger at you to say, look at how she did that. And in a situation where you're right, you're going to do something audacious, you're going to do something so big and bold, it better be done with respect so that there's no there's no lashing out on you or that you did something wrong. And it it also makes it harder to fight what you're trying to do when you do it so calmly. Exactly. And I think that you have to function from a point of view of empathy for what they're going through at the same time, because at least like I am going to hope majority of the time, if there is any resistance, it's from a place of pure intention too. So you have to have that awareness as well. Like in my case, my parents spent what, 20 some years planning for me to have a certain future. And I, and I pulled the rug out from underneath them. The least I could do is give them a second to adjust, you know, or you know, my, my parents have poured everything into me. I'm precious to them. This child that I'm growing, I love him so much. I want, and he's not even born yet. I want the best for him. And so even in marrying a spouse or making any big decision, whatever it is that you face, you have to understand, okay, is this person operating from a place of worry for me? And how can I give them the sukoon or the reassurance that it's going to be okay. And that requires you, like I said before, having your ducks in a row, proving you've done your due diligence, proving you're not operating from a place of just, you know, like frantic chaos or lust or, you know, not thinking things through. Operate with respect for yourself and for your family. It goes both ways. I was actually going to ask a question about that and I, I ended up skipping it, but I feel like that's an answer to if people are looking and need advice on, hey, how do I do what you did? How do I shift gears in whatever direction, career, the person you want to marry, whatever it is that you want to do, 
that's such a good way to approach it. If you need some template, you're like, I don't know where to start, where to begin. I just know what I want my end goal to be. Making sure that you have everything organized, your ducks in a row, making sure you understand what it's going to take out of you, making sure you understand how to approach it, keeping your cool. Like, I think that's a really big one. It's easy to just say, that's really hard. I really commend you for that. And knowing that you have to keep, keep everything respectful in the way that you approach things at home and understanding the other person's perspective, I think those are great places to start. And if you have all of that under your belt, then okay, then great. Exactly. And I've seen recently a lot of scenarios where employers or family members or friends, whoever it is that is your resistance, isn't respectful towards you. And so it's almost like a default that, okay, I get to fire back now because you crossed that line. But that's where you don't want to go. And if you can at all prevent it, even if it's like removing yourself temporarily from that situation and returning to it later, you have to do that, especially when it comes with, you know, that long term relationship that isn't going anywhere, family, friend, spouse, whatever wise, you have to remember that actions have consequences. Someone not being able to understand your vision is actually okay because it wasn't their vision. It's your vision. So it's your responsibility to explain it out if you think that that's important so that other people can understand and see what you see. You can't throw someone, you know, like a context-free like shift of plans or whatever it is and say, this is what I want, or this is what I'm doing and expect them to just jump on board. They're human. You have to give them a second. And if you can't give them a second, then be prepared for that resistance, but hold your ground. Don't give up on that dream. And if you can remember that you can achieve what you want without hurting people, do the most good and the least amount of harm you'll set yourself up for success and you'll do it in a way that you're proud of years down the line. I love that. I hope that's something people take take away from this because I think that's great advice. All of us all of us come across resistance with family in something and it could be like micro stuff daily or it could be something really big like this, but keeping that approach in mind, I feel like we don't really get that big sister advice from everyone or anyone really. So to have that in the back of your head, hey, this is a great way to approach it. It'll just also give you so much more peace in your own life. Like you'll be able to sleep better at night. And I say that all the time. I actually say to my cousin and my sister, the reason why I can sleep at night is because I did that. If I didn't, I would have been I would have been beside myself with guilt, with anxiety, just feeling unsettled, but I have no regrets. And I proudly have no regrets. Even if people hadn't come around, which alhamdulillah they did, but even if they hadn't, I wouldn't have had any regrets because I navigated it to the best of my ability. Yeah, and and just to wrap that there's no one can point a finger at you to say, "Oh, look, she did it like this." And I think for your own piece, that's so important. Like anybody else can think whatever and say whatever, but for you to know, I did this in a way where no one can point a finger at me. You're right. It does help you sleep better at night. You don't have to second guess whether you made the right decision, whether it was the right kind of confidence, any of that, because you know that you approached it to the best of your ability in a way that was kind and empathetic and compassionate. 
And then you still did what was what you needed to do to stand up for yourself. It is powerful to be able to have that pride in yourself. Okay, back to you another a little bit. I would love because I love you two together. I don't <laughs> at all, but I just think you guys are so adorable. And I watched your traveling and your if for everyone that doesn't know, Michelle went to South Africa. And where I stayed in South Africa was the same lodge that Michelle stayed at. And it was actually recommended by her. And it was like one of the best experiences of my life. And we also went to Turkey and some other places, but it felt so similar to what you and other did. It wasn't our honeymoon, but we were like, this is the only with easy school schedule chunk of time we have. So I loved seeing that. I also, Nader, I saw flies a drone. Muzi is obsessed with drones. It's just such like funny, small things. But I want to know- Best friends in real life. I want to know more about you and Nader. Like, do you guys have the same love languages? What's something you've learned in marriage from each other? Oh my gosh. Okay. So like coming from that background of mine where, you know, you're operating on, on expectations and all that. So different coming into marriage with Nader because like, did you know that if someone has like a differing want, that doesn't mean they disrespect you? <laughs> Cause I didn't. I go through that still daily. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> I had to learn from my husband that like, just cause he doesn't want to like agree with me on something doesn't mean he doesn't love me. Doesn't mean he's trying to hurt me. Doesn't mean he is disrespecting me. And I, that was a novel concept because mm-hmm. I grew up with that. Um, <laughs> so that's one thing. Now there's also like, just so chill, just so easygoing, but he's like, he's very athletic. He's very driven. He's very kind. He has such a pure soul. And I'll tell you like the moment that I knew I was going to marry him was he jumped out of a his car. I was in the passenger seat. He saw a homeless man in the middle of the summer sitting in a bus stop without shoes this man was at a red light no there was he jumped out of the car he ran over to the bus stop he took off his shoes he gave them to the man and then he walked back barefoot and got into the car and you're like that's my man i'm like he's gonna be the father of my children literally that was three months in and i was like wow who does that and then on another occasion we were we went we went kayaking to Toronto Island and we capsized like a v- embarrassingly short um, like short distance off the dog it was so bad and my you know those Zara slides that everyone has that they release every summer uh-huh. I had those on because I was trying to be cute while kayaking and we capsized our kayak and my slides went away and we went to Toronto Island. I was barefoot. Now they kept trying to give me his slides because I didn't have shoes anymore. He was like, do you want me to buy you these flip-flops? Like I, I was just trying to play it cool. But coming back from the island to Toronto, everything is concrete, right? And the sun was beating down so heavy. My feet were like blistering, just touching the, the pavement. This man, he took off his slides and he forced them on my feet. And he walked all the way back to where my car was barefoot in the sweltering heat. And I was literally looking at him like, first of all, what is it with you and giving shoes away? But second of all, like who does that? 
I was going to say it's something you guys with the shoes. (laughs) It's our thing. (laughs) So sweet. Like, I love when someone can show. He didn't have to say anything. He just showed you that he can be there. And sometimes it's hard to recognize. And so my point in saying all of this is he's so driven by wanting to create a life that he's proud of wanting to lead a life that is full where he's living. He's not living under constraints. He's not working like a typical nine to five and never really like experiencing life. He has this thirst for it that he brings out or encourages in me that was like silenced for a while within myself. And he always operates from just wanting to do so much good for others without ever mentioning it, making a big deal out of it, asking for anything in return. And I, that's what I see in him. And I know that's also what he sees in me. That's how, that's how we level with each other. Everything else is different about us. Like if you, if you saw us in real life, like not, now there's rugged, he's got rough edges. He's like, He's a man who traveled with a backpack for six months. And I come from like a princess lifestyle. I am very not rough around the edges. I am very particular. Like we have a different set of plates for every occasion. Like I I had to get rid of his frat house furniture <laughs> and like replace it all because I refuse to live in like mismatched, you know, like no. Yes, we have posters. <laughs> if I showed you, look at this. Can you see that? I can. You guys, there's a poster. Massive gray lion overlooks our bed and he refuses to let me get rid of this. But I got rid of everything else successfully. Because he had one of those. It was he's obsessed with being from Chicago. So it was like a Chicago city flag over the bed. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, it's gone. But yeah, I get it. That's and you guys compliment each other in that way. It's that it's that underlying kindness, love, respect you have for each other. Everything else can be different. It makes it exciting. It's different. Exactly. And we really balance each other out. Like I'm such a homebody. He's so outgoing. He is so social. He could go out every single day of the week and never feel exhausted. I go out one time and I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And it's so nice that he balances me. And I also get him to like nurture himself and not just be like, go, go, go all the time. When you say you became, or that you are a homebody, were you always a homebody? Did you find yourself becoming a homebody after you got married and had your own place? I actually think I was almost like conditioned to be a homebody because I was never really allowed to go anywhere. And now it just feels like actually in med school, I did have like a couple years where I was a big party animal. Not going to lie. Had a lot of fun. You didn't really get to experience undergrad. So I'm glad you got that experience. It's like all the fun stories you get to tell now. In Europe too. Like I was very well known by the bouncers of several clubs, not for like any bad reason, but just that I was like a frequent visitor. Oh my God. I love that. And now <laughs> like polar opposite. What's funny is that lifestyle happened for a couple years. And then I shifted gears altogether into like mom mode. 
And now retrospectively, I'm like, how did I not know that I was like made to be a mom? Because I would get my girlfriends ready, my roommates ready. I would do their makeup. I would pour them drinks. I would make them snacks. And then I'd be like, okay, bye. Like see them off. And I would make myself a little snack. I would put on a show. I would get cozy. I would go to bed. You wouldn't go? After like the first few years, I like got it out of my system. I wouldn't go. I would have longing by Nusrat Fateh Khan. Um, I would have that on my TV. I would have my LED strips going. I would have a little like sparkling water in a wine glass with ice cubes. I would have a charcuterie plate. I would order in food sometimes, pizza, whatever I was feeling. And I would have the most like romantic night by myself. That's something you and I have so in common. Like I have moved away from home and all the time, my friends and family ask me like, oh, but aren't you sad? And I'm like, guys, I get to have a Friday night, a Saturday night and a Sunday night where I get to set the ambiance and enjoy my evening and watch my favorite stuff and take my dog for a walk in the freaking beautiful forest. No, I'm fine. Like I'll come back and forth as much as I want to party, but it's really nice having that slow roll like I get to and because you have that now too and you have always been a homebody but what you have in your routine now with sneaks and with not there in your life it's like you wake up every day feeling like oh I get to make my cup of coffee in my own home I get to take my choice and it's funny like you're so right about like waking up on weekend mornings too I used to be like drill sergeant woken up at like 7 a.m and now I'm like I could sleep, but I don't even want to because automatically I wake up at seven being like, let's go do something. Let's go like, you know, like I want to go make my snack. I want to get back into bed, watch a show. Like it just excites me so much. Exactly. It's just, the, it really is the little things, but you get to romanticize it. And then it, it does feel exciting to get to do that. Yeah. Even like, <laughs> okay. So it's Ramadan, right? I, if I was at home, and I was fasting. I'm not fasting because I'm pregnant. But if I was fasting, like there were times when I wouldn't wake up for steady. Like you could not get me out of bed except for by force. Now I don't have to wake up. I'm not fasting. My husband does not expect me to cook for him. But the excitement I get out of waking up and like cooking an elaborate meal for him and a snack for myself only to get back into bed, like after having it and then go back to sleep, I'm like, this is the life. <laughs> I love this. Okay, you had mentioned earlier that you do Sari for Nader. In my head, I was like, God, I hope Musi doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> so nice of you. Yeah. And to answer your question, that act of service is my love language. Mm-hmm. And it's Nader's too. And I, I, we just do it in such different ways. I used to think like, like for example, and this is like a tip on marriage, I suppose. I used to think, cause words of affirmation are a big one for me in receiving and giving. Like if I adore you, I will constantly be telling you that I adore you. Nader does not have that. He likes touch. He likes acts of service. He likes quality time. He doesn't care if I never tell him how much I adore him. I do to like an annoying, cringy extent. I don't care. I'm going to keep doing it because now he knows that that's how I show my affection. But I used to think the absence of him communicating in that way with me was the absence of that emotion at all. And that's so not the case. And like, to, to answer your question from before, like, 
what do you learn about marriage through through like the trial and error of it? It is the fact that it's built on so much understanding and trial and error and like investigating each other's ins and outs. You do not walk into it and it's just like, boom, everything's perfect. Everything's cookie cutter and flawless. You build it. And have you guys come to like your love languages are here, for example, words of affirmation, which I am the same way, by the way, and physical touch, which Muzi is the same way, by the way. And he is not good at words of affirmation. I am similar to you where I take that as, oh, he doesn't feel those things. He's like, I think it, but I don't feel the need to say it. It doesn't process to me to say it. Do you guys find yourselves coming to a middle ground or have you learned to accept love in the way he knows how to show it and vice versa? Both, because I understand how he functions, but he also takes the time to give me what I need. And so like on our anniversary, for example, he takes the time to write me such elaborate cards now, like often with like poetry in it. And if you knew Nather, he's like such a guy's guy. Anyone that I told, like I'll tell this story to his family. Like one time he wrote me a poem about how, oh my God, he's going to kill me for saying this. But one time he wrote me a poem when he got back from like his trip to Kenya about how he'd like seen the sunrise over Mount Kilimanjaro and like the sunset over like somewhere else, but nothing lights him up more than seeing my face or like something, but like way nicer and more eloquent. And I remember remember reading that being like, yeah, like where did you steal this from? I know you didn't write this. And he did. He wrote it. And his family, when I told them, they were like jaw on the floor, like that, like our nother. But he tries. He tries and you bring it out of him. That's what it sounds like. You bring it out of him. And that's so sweet that he would. He's probably mortified right now. For a while, like I used to write him such elaborate cards, like tiny font, like corner to corner, edge to edge, just like full of adoration. And he'd be like, thank you. The first card he ever wrote me, Sana, was a couple months into dating. And it literally was like, just like a blank card. And it said, happy birthday. Keep doing your thing. Nother. And it's such, it's like an ongoing joke now because me, I gave him such an elaborate card and I opened his and it literally said, keep doing your thing. And at our wedding, at our nikah, my cousin was there, my best friend, my cousin, she and Miza know this story because I called my cousin afterwards being like, I think we need to break up. <laughs> like, I don't think he's into me. Like he wrote, he wrote me such a bland card. Little do I know that's like a lot for another, but at the end of their speech to us at our wedding, they were like, no one will get this, but Mish and Nader, but you two just keep doing your thing. And now at the end of like any speech anyone gives us, they reference that line and Nader, I hope is mortified. And I just think it's hilarious now. <laughs> that is so, and look at how far he's come. Now he's talking about sunsets and you and the mountains. Right? This man. Changed man. <laughs> That's all you. And so now, even family wise, and you all like, you guys are in a way better place and everyone loves him so much, so much. Like, 
my friend uh, Farah has a brand called Nazar, and they do these like Shah Rukh Khan, Amitabh Bachchan, Ranveer Singh, like graphic tees. So I got a bunch and I sh- was showing my mom and my mom is like, hi, aapko to mere khubsurat, like whatever the son, the son, the word for son-in-law is, um, ki tasveer dalni jayati. Like you should have put like a picture of my, my beautiful son-in-law on it. I'm going to call him and tell him that you're like wearing t-shirts with other men. I was like, ew, <laughs> stop this. What are you doing? This is like actually too much affection. They love him. Love him so much. You're like everything that you went through, all the ups, all the downs, like to see, you know, we could have talked at any point, but to see you at the point where things are so on the up and up, alhamdulillah, I mean, it's, you've been through it, so you deserve it. Not that people don't deserve it if they haven't gone through traumatic events, but you have, and you deserve to see the light at the end of the tunnel and that you're experiencing that end of it. It just makes me so happy. And you can see it in your face that you're like, this is what I've gone through, but look at where we are today. I think it gives other people hope too. I really hope that it does because I didn't have that hope for a very long time, but I was at peace with it. And it, it really turned around. And the thing that gives me the most relief in that is that my son will come into nothing but tranquility around him from everyone. And that to me is the most important thing. Me and Nader would have been fine. I would have continued to operate from a place of purity. Our relationship would have continued to operate from a place of purity. But that child, that innocent life, he deserves to have all his grandparents, all his you know aunts and uncles, for there to be just pure love and no walking on eggshells. And he gets that. And I really think that there's something to be said about like I like I just mentioned, operating from that place of pure intention and kindness and respect that magnetizes people to understanding that your heart was always in a good place, even if they didn't agree with it. This is the way everyone's come together, alhamdulillah, even before he's here. And so when he is here, inshallah, he's going to be the the connection between everyone as much as you and Nader are this baby who they're going to all love so much because first grandkid right on your side yep. is it first grandkid on our sides oh my gosh <laughs> it, it's going to be just tenfold I think it, it, that always is the case it helps bring bring the family so much closer together so there's so much more to look forward to and that is another thing for people like there, you could be in whatever state you are right now, up, down, wherever, but there is always something to look forward to. There's always hope. And I feel like when people are in really low places, sometimes literally all you have to cling on to is that there, there's like fingers crossed some hope. And there's been plenty of times where I didn't have any. Plenty of times. Times when I was kicked out of my home. I had to find a place to live. Times when no one was speaking to me. Times when I was being absolutely annihilated verbally my 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 character was being assassinated the greater community was involved in completely bashing me but you have to remember your why you have to remember that as long as you're at peace with yourself and you can sleep at night and again for the millionth time you're reasoning is just from a place of most good, least harm, everything will fall into place. It has to. 
That's just not how the universe works to let you continue to suffer as long as you continue to put good energy outwards. And I don't mean this in a woo-woo way, but you will attract that peace back into your life. I believe the woo-woo because even when you're saying it has to work out, it has to, it has to, it has to become something. I'm thinking of a word and I can't, it happens to me all the time when I'm podcasting. I'm like, I don't know. But because you're you're saying to yourself that this has to happen, you're like reinforcing that manifestation innately. It, this has to become come to fruition. This has to be true. Then it will be. You have to affirm it. You have to act like it. Okay. So um, just to like, I have a couple more questions for you on marriage, which one of them is what's the hardest lesson you've learned in marriage? hardest lesson in marriage just in a moment of honesty would be that things are not always fairy tales in the way that you perceive them to be or expect them to be whether it is your dynamic with each other with other people how you get along with friends your wants your needs your long-term vision um you know learning about each other's pasts, how you want to raise children, how you spend money. Like there are so many things that you discover in marriage about another person. It is not easy. But the thing that gets you through it is having the same goal. As long as you're operating from a place of, okay, Regardless of differences, our goal is to succeed together, not like me versus you, not, you know, like we're just going to agree to disagree and like, I'm fine with that. That's what gets you through. It's kind of like the expanded theory of don't go to bed angry. Sometimes you do need to go to bed angry because you need to cool down, but you have to come back and have that communication with each other. I think in marriage, the times when the honeymoon phase ends and you lose that spark with each other is when there's so much unsaid. There's so much resentment. There's so much that you aren't experiencing with each other that you wish you were, or you've just shifted so that you're li- you're living two separate lives in parallel or, you know, in opposite directions. And if you can have consistent ways to bring yourselves back together so that you are in parallel no matter what and living the same life that is how you succeed it's not easy it doesn't mean that like you have to end up agreeing on everything or you know there aren't going to be things that are that are going to feel unforgivable or whatever it is but that communication understanding of where your partner's coming from understanding that they have a whole like ecosystem of wants, needs, desires, and complexities within them just as much as you, that piece is what will make you successful in a relationship, I think. And I didn't know that going in. I've obviously never been in in a, in a relationship that was as, you know, tied, as intertwined, and as complicated, and with so much on the line. My tendency, I'm a big Sagittarius girl. I run from signs of resistance. 
And like I said before, like if we're not on the same page, I feel like you're not on my page. And so I want to run. But I learned from another to stay and to figure it out and to have that conversation that doesn't feel easy, but that vulnerability allows you to be transparent with each other. So there's no guesswork so that there is no resentment. Nothing goes left unsaid. And we do that by having monthly check-ins with each other. But like on the 22nd of every month, we have a tea date where we sit and we just like put everything out there in a judgment-free zone. No one gets angry. No one fights. It's just a, this is how I feel. These are the good things. These are like the highs of the month. These are the lows of the month. And these are the things that we need to work on. And the other person has just as much of a platform to say the same back to you. And you build off that. And that's what works for us. I love that. I think I would try to implement that too, the monthly check-ins. Why the 22nd? Is there some significance? Because it was the 22nd when we realized that we needed to start doing this. And we just needed a, now there actually was like, I'm going to put it in my calendar so that we have to do this every month. And it happened to be the 22nd. Does it ever get heated? Because I will say, from my perspective, I agree. Sometimes sleeping it off is helpful. Stepping away is even helpful. I grew up in a house where you don't step away, you eat each other apart and it can get really toxic. And maybe they're both equally toxic, but stepping away has helped me get perspective in an argument. And in marriage, I feel like things can get ugly. You compromise a lot for another person. You compromise you know, hopefully you pick the right person. And so it's, it, it's out of love. But even when there is love, sometimes love isn't enough for how much you have to compromise for another person. And I want people that are married to know that they're not alone in that it does get hard. There are so many times, Michelle, that I've sat myself and been like, is this normal? Like, is it okay that a fight gets like, we're this angry at each other, or frustrated with each other that we need to step away, you know, because you just don't really know. Till you talk to other people. So I love that you have the check-ins. Do they ever get heated? Or is it truly like no judgment? We are just going to say what we, what we need to say. Truthfully, on the 22nd, I don't think we've ever gotten heated because we know the purpose of it. But in between, it's not like we don't have conversations and fights in between. They happen all the time. Those could get heated for, for sure. But the thing that calms those down is we stopped bickering with each other. And by bickering, I mean, we used to just like, we used to not listen to each other. And we used to just listen to like snap back and respond. I'm very, I can be very sassy in that way. And my husband can be even sassier in that way. And he's, he's, He's got this tendency or like this innate ability to just like grind my gears in a way that no one else, no I one else serves my people. Like they all meet and like know that that's their job to do that to their wives. It's insane. It's so weird because no one disturbs my peace ever in life, really. But this man could disturb my peace <laughs> in a big way. And I know I could do the same, but what I recognized about us that we actually picked up during my pregnancy was communicating from a pl- two things, actually. Number one, we don't try and solve the issue while we're in the middle of being angry. Like we might, we might like vocalize that we're so pissed off 
And that definitely happens a lot, but we will not expect a resolution. We will actually like get it out and say, this is something we need to talk about. I need to go take some space right now. And we will, we will go, like, I'll come upstairs. He'll be downstairs or like whatever it is, because we will not try and solve it in the middle of anger because we know we're not getting anywhere. So my biggest thing, and I actually say this to my clients all the time is when you have something that is upsetting you, don't say it in the heat of being upset because the tone that you take, the way that you come across, you will think that you're just doing, you're just vocalizing it like you would in any other situation, but you won't. It comes with passive aggressiveness, sometimes straight up aggressiveness. It comes with, you know, the welcoming of a defensiveness from your partner. So you never operate like that. Just if you need to vocalize something in the moment, fine, but don't expect a resolution. Come back the next day or when you're ready and then have the conversation. Like you said, once you've cooled down, once you have perspective and still vocalize what's upsetting you, but you'll even just say it differently. You'll present it in a unique or uh, in a unique or different way. And secondly, I, at least, like, I think you need to take the time to recognize what your triggers are. And for me, my triggers are often getting frustrated about the way that things should be versus the way that things are. And so instead of constantly letting your mind brew over, like, this is how things should be, and this is how, you know, like life should be, or you should be, or should, 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 says who? It's not cookie cutter. It's not a fairy tale. It's not, you know, like served to you on a platter. If that's what you want, you make it that, but don't expect it. Accept things as they are. And it's still okay to feel like those aren't satisfactory or whatever. But if you operate from a place of dissatisfaction around the way that things aren't and you expect them to be, you're setting yourself up for for disaster. So instead, I now operate and now there too from a place of this is what I appreciate and like. And I'm going to vocalize this at a time when I have the capacity to be respectful to you. And when I don't, I'm not even going to try to because I know that I'm going to just like go off on you. And that way, at least we can build towards something. And I swear we have just gotten through so many mountains of issues simply because of taking the time to be cognizant of that difference. And that takes time to learn that, to recognize it in the other person and to have the constraint to be like, okay, this is a time to recognize when to have that conversation and to have the constraint to say, okay, this is not the time to have that conversation because it's easier to snap. And I, yeah, I, I hear what, what is um, another sign? You said you're a Sagittarius. I always forget he's either Aquarius or Capricorn. He's January 4th. Oh, I'm so curious because Muzi is a Capricorn. What's his birthday? December 28th. So he's a Capricorn. Isn't that funny? Are you a Sagittarius? No, I'm a Leo. Okay. Yeah. Really? Actually, I see that. <laughs> no, I'm like, I feel like it's all over. You're just, you know, Leos that I've met have been like really um, terrible people and narcissistic but you're you're all the good characteristics you're like the fun characteristics of a leo you're not the negatives i appreciate that i can be 
Okay. So family, we talk, we like, this was a little bit, you know, like coming out through the entire episode, but you're the oldest in your family. We know how it impacted your career. We know how it impacted you later in life, but how did this impact you in your life overall? And what were some struggles of growing up in a DC household that was traditional? So I am the oldest within my household, but on um, like the Canadian side of the family, I am also just the oldest child in general. And so every kid that came after was always my responsibility and anything they did wrong was also my responsibility. So that was a lot of pressure. It was like I was everyone's babysitter. And was there like any kind of like Damasha, like any kind of like chaos that they were up to it was always my fault and so I was made to mature at a rate far faster than I should have I didn't really have a childhood my mom also was 19 when she had me and I was raised in a state of survival for her because to her, I was the way that she was going to prove that she was like equipped to be a mom when people didn't necessarily believe in her. So there was a lot of pressure there for me. Like, you know, no play dates, no, like Michelle doesn't relax. Like Michelle just works all the time, studies all the time, or is like so, so, so disciplined. And there's all these stories now that my aunts and uncles tell of like how my mom used to just give me like one look with her eyes and I would like, boom, be so obedient. Like nine o'clock, the look would come, I'd run upstairs because I was supposed to go to bed and I would like desperately look out from between the railings, like wanting to hang out with everyone else. My mom wouldn't let me. And that was her, you know, there was like so much resentment for me when I, when I recognize these things as an adult. But then when I think about it and I think about like just the impact of immigrating to a brand new country with a strange man who's almost twice your age, having a child at 19, going into the workforce, not having your like mom or dad to coddle you, not having anyone to coddle you and also being married to the the man that was like almost responsible for the whole family. And so everyone was then therefore your responsibility as a woman and as his wife, I think she did the best that she could. And I look back on those things now and I'm like, I get it. I a thousand percent get it. Like I can I can barely take care of myself and I'm having a child at 32. I definitely could not have done that at 19. So I grew up with a lot of, I call it suffocation mm-hmm. because it's what it was. And I grew up with a lot of discipline, which made me who I am today. But the like digestion of that and the empathy that I've developed as to why it's so crazy. And I think that that is also why like now as a mother, I have such intentions with my child. I want to operate from the best possible places and never operate from that place of survival or guilt or fear the way that my mom had to. And did a lot of that come for you 
in pregnancy, a lot of that perspective change and sympathy for your mom, your dad, your family, but especially your parents? Or is that something you recognize even before? I think I started to recognize it because of Miza, my sister, but definitely it it increased tenfold when I actually got pregnant and I was thinking of the logistics of how to raise a child. But luckily I did get exposure to it when I was raising her because I kind of became like the default go-to adult for my sister and a mother figure to her. And just through that, even like, she's only 16 years younger than me. So I wasn't always like at this level of maturity now when I was raising her and making decisions for her, but I was still aware of how it might impact her and influence her development. And I think that that was kind of a blessing in disguise for me because it allowed me to process my own traumas before reaching this point. So it hasn't felt so overwhelming because I think it would be very easy to project your own traumas onto your child if you hadn't had that chance to process them. And so you grew up the oldest, by the way, I'm the oldest on both sides of my family too. My mom had me at 20 also. So I I get a lot of what you're saying. You grew up with a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation. I feel like that probably guided like so many of your decisions. And also your sister is 16 years younger than you. Did you have like a community of girlfriends that were your age? I did, but they were also not really relatable to me because they came from households that function in a very different way. They came from much more liberal families. They came from, I mean, actually it was like the liberal aspect of it that kind of differentiated us. So whether it was like, you know, the way you dress or drinking or whatever, this, the, the standards in their households were were that those things were very normal and those things were just like unheard of for me. My mom wears hijab. Like we were very, very, very disciplined. Um, And so I had it, but I could never really relate. And then at the same time, because I didn't know who I was, because I was still at that age processing things through the filter of what do mom and dad want? Like, what am I supposed to do? I never just chilled out and develop my personality to get close to anyone like that until now. Okay, that makes sense. And you talk about Misa as your sister, right? I love seeing her on your socials. I I, I sent Michelle a bunch of questions beforehand, and this is something I definitely wanted to get to because I have a sister, and I love seeing your relationship with your sister. Hearing you talk about your life, she was kind of in the background of all of this probably, right? So it must have impacted her in a lot of ways too. But what's your relationship and dynamic like with her, your motherly towards her, as I feel like what I'm understanding? A thousand percent. Like today, she was experiencing something at school. She had like a skin rash. She felt sick. She's not texting our mom. She's texting me being like, I want to go home. Like, can I, like, is this the picture of reactant? Can I take this? Like, and she does this all the time where I'll tell my mom, like, hey, Miza was saying this. And she'll be like, you know, those questions should be coming to me. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, <laughs> this is just what it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, get on board. But it's the best because my sister knows that she has my mom. Absolutely. 
And my parents are so present with her in a way that they didn't get to be with me because they're no longer in that place of survival. But she also has me on her side and she can be who she wants to be and is authentically without filter, without fear. There's one thing that I always say, and it's that I never want my children to grow up being like, you know, if they make a mistake, I want them to be able to say, I'm going to call my mom and ask. I never want them to feel like, oh my God, I can't call my mom. She'll kill me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and my sister, the thing I'm most proud of is that she knows that first of all, she has all of this freedom to be whoever she wants to be because I paved the path for this girl. Firstly, laid my life on the line. And secondly, she doesn't have the same constraints that I did because my parents have also learned and grown through this process. But through it all, like all that being said, like her being able to live authentically is, is, is a big theme in her life. But if there was ever a situation, she would always feel safe calling me. And that's what I love about our relationship that no matter what, I'm going to know whatever's going on, the raw, honest truth of it. And I'm going to know that she's safe. And that to me is exactly the kind of relationship that I think all parents should have with their children or all siblings should have with each other. It shouldn't be like a superiority thing. It should be that safe space. And you know, I love that you guys have that. I'm so glad that as much as she has you, I'm glad that you had her too. Like, I think that you lean on her the way you do now too is so beautiful and that you get to have her to be an aunt and see you in these different phases of life as a sister. But what you said, I I would struggle with friends with this because I understand that parents are not going to get it and they're not going to be able to be, yes, let me pick up the phone and call someone. It's not always going to be a parent. What I didn't understand is when friends my age were like that. Why can't you let your sibling come to you with all the ups and downs, right, wrong, whatever? I have always been with my sister that way. She's only four years younger than me, but always have been that way with her and my brother that they can call me with anything. And yeah, I I mean, I'll get frustrated if it's something that I'm worried about, but there's nothing about them that I don't know. The worst to the best. There's nothing about them that I don't know, but I have friends. And I know a lot of Daisy girls who not only can they not go to an older sibling, um, but they would rather not know about their younger siblings. And with big age gaps, I think I understand that. So for you and mindset to have that, it's huge because you guys do have such a big age gap. And it's interesting because, you know, the dynamic that we have, it's very comfortable. It's very honest and above board. Neither of us have that really with our brother. So we also have a brother who's in between. He's four years younger than me and 12 years older than Miza. But he's very like a second. He's also like a father figure to to Miza, except she doesn't like it. Like she doesn't want him to be the father figure. She doesn't, she doesn't see him like that because that also hasn't been established. And I don't know why that happened. Like maybe it was because I didn't live at home for so long. I was living in Ireland and I would come back sporadically. I don't know if it's because I'm a, a, a girl. Like, I don't know what that difference was or if it's just our personalities, but I see what she could have with our brother and what he could have with her. 
but they don't. And I really, I, I hope that anyone with their siblings, exactly as you said, like, it doesn't make sense to me to not have that. It doesn't make sense to me to, like, I don't act like my, my sister's boss. I don't act like my sister's like, you know, a child. I don't speak to her like a child. I think that that's so important. I, I speak to her like an equal. And I think that's how that relationship develops. Whereas my brother is very like, he's a Pakistani man. <laughs> so it's a little different, you know? So I, uh, I appreciate that. Your in-laws, you've talked about it. You've leaned on them. You have such a good relationship with them. And for those of you that don't know, Michelle talks about on social media a lot that you spend weekends with your in-laws and you have these like adorable videos hanging out. <laughs> How did you build that relationship with them? Because I think that's very unique. Yeah, I think I was so vulnerable with them from the very beginning because on the, the, of the circumstances under which we met. And I think that you know, we've said a lot in this, in this recording of operating from a place of respect, but I did that for my in-laws too. And so I, I had so many open conversations with my mother-in-law, my father-in-law passed away many, many, many years ago. So I never met him. It's just my mother-in-law and then my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law and other. And I had so many conversations with them about like the raw, honest truth. I owned my stuff of like, you know, this is what I did. This is, you know, what the, what the reaction is or how it's being received. This is what I desire. Like, I am so sorry. Or like, you know, these are the things I take responsibility for. This is what I want. This is what I value. This is what I don't. I think that having those honest, open conversations, letting them see that you're human allows or allowed it, at least in my case, for them to connect with me as an individual instead of as nothers plus one. And that's which is really brave with in-laws. And I see that missing. Like anytime that I hear about, you know, the clash between the sauce and the bahu or whatever, so like mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, there's always in the situations that I've seen anyways, there's always that air of like lack of communication, lack of vulnerability. So the, the remaining like energy that that gives off is that there's like lack of authenticity. There's too much space for misunderstanding. There's too much space for you to develop opinions that are coming from a place of that lack of understanding. And then you're forced into each other's lives because of this relationship. It's so hard to get along with people that aren't, are, are like, you know, your blood that you've grown up with, let alone people that you've just met and now are, you know, together with 24 seven. But that was one thing. And then I traveled with them. Mm, okay. So about a year after we got married, less than a year, we went to Pakistan together to attend Nader's cousin's wedding. And I was so nervous because I was like, what if they hate me? Like <laughs> we spend weekends, but what if, you know, extended periods of time, I get tired of people. What if they get tired of me? But it was the best time ever. Like I just, I was vulnerable with the family. I was not like haughty toddy. I wasn't, I was just we were in Multan, we were in Lahore, like I was down for anything. If I was sick, I was like, 
I am so sick and like vulnerable about it. If I, I was thriving, I was thriving with everyone else. Like I, I intertwined myself with their family in a way that was also respectful of the fact that I am the in-law. And I say that very intentionally because I've seen situations where there's this expectation that the addition to the family will just automatically get all the same treatment and everything else as everyone else. And there is no like earning of your position. And I think that that messes things up in any, in, do you know what I mean? Like in the situations that I've seen. That's actually a really good point. And as you were talking about this, I was thinking too that, you know, the way that your in-laws have been in this whole process, not judgy, very welcoming. Not all in-laws are that way. And people listening may be like, man, I really wish I had that. But but actually, that's not the point that you're making even, I feel like. I feel like the point that people can take away from this is you have to meet people where they are and whoever they are, let them be their authentic selves and accept people for who they are. You can't change your in-laws. They, they are who they are. So just learn to accept people for who they are. And yeah, maybe maybe we grew up and I... I feel like I probably this. You think that you expect a position in people's family dynamic, which is so sacred to everyone. Maybe it just takes time to earn that position. I actually will give you such a raw example. My sister-in-law, so my brother is married. They have been married for so long. They had their bot bucky when they were 18 and 16. They were babies and they're now 28 and 26. Mm-hmm. 10 years in that amount of time my sister-in-law is also the oldest child on both sides of the family actually not both sides but like relatively high up in the hierarchy of like when kids were born and she was given so much love and adoration in her house she's the princess in her house all the decisions are defaulted to her it's always like what does she want ask your baji like that kind of thing in my house it's me So then when she married into my family, she also expected that, that, that defaulting of like, what does she want will come automatically. And it didn't because my parents were still defaulting to me because I'm older by a mile. Not that the age is a, you know, a factor that really should matter, but it just, we Again, like if she was 16 and my brother was 18, that makes me 22. Like we were kids at that point. And so also their daughter, like at yeah. the end of the day, you are also their daughter, age or not. And it took a lot of work for all of us to make room for each other. Mm-hmm. For me to understand, you know, these are her needs and this is why these are her needs. Instead of being offended by them, for her to understand that's their daughter. So that's also my big sister now. And how do I adapt to having a big sibling or a big sister now and everything in between. And now our relationship is so strong. We went through so many highs and lows to get to this point now. And I think that that like, that really summarizes your point as well of You have to meet people where they are. You have to be considerate of where they're coming from, what you bring to the table. And as long as you can try to to keep your goal 
like everyone's tranquility and everyone's sukun, you'll figure out what your dynamic is. But you do have to figure it out. It's not given. And it's also important that like I have best friends, all of our in-law dynamics are different. Every single family comes with its own. I mean, the sibling dynamics are different. The living situation, every single person, it's so unique to a person. So comparison of in-laws can be difficult. It can be really difficult to hear someone have it easy, someone have it harder, falling in the middle. So knowing that you just have to put in the work, I think is a good answer. It's a good answer that put in the work and see where it takes you. You are in your life forever. You're right. Exactly. For example, when we were in Pakistan, I got the worst food poisoning of my life. And my mother-in-law, bless her soul, she spent the entire night awake whispering duaing over and over again, wetting her dupatta in ice or like an ice bath and putting it on my forehead all night. She was like, she was pressing my legs. She was massaging my back. My mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is in her 60s. I'm, I'm her daughter-in-law. I was mortified. I was like, I should be doing this for you. You're doing it for me. Like I, I was, I was so embarrassed, but she did. And I know that a big reason of why she did is because she really thinks of me as her own daughter. Why? Because I also treat her like my mother. I don't differentiate between my mom, your mom, that kind of thing. Maybe in passing just to like quickly differentiate, but I call my mom, my mother-in-law, mom now. And we got to this point through mutual respect. It wasn't an automatic thing by any means. It was organic. And now it's unbreakable. I love that. Okay, I have taken so much of your time, but I have lightning round questions left. Will you be sharing pictures of your baby on social media? I want to. No, there doesn't. But we will. He just doesn't want to for like the first month or so, which is okay. Yeah, I get that. I actually, I feel like I would do the same. Um, have you had any cravings during your pregnancy? Subway sandwiches? i don't know why i just want like a really good veggie sandwich um recently i've been really into like peach juice for some reason and for a while it was like anything carbonated or popsicles anything that's like sour fizzy hydrating you know what i mean like mouth-watering in that way that's my craving is it still Who do you think the baby will look more like? Oh, man, I think he looks like Nader. Yeah, because you have the 3D photos, right? I have the 3D photos. And everyone freaked me out from my in-law side because they were like, when Nader was born, all you could see was his nose. And I was like, oh, my gosh, because I happen to have a very small nose. Nader has a very typical Pakistani nose. I love him. I love his face. But they freaked me out. And now I'm like... That's all I can see on the ultrasound. So it remains to be seen, but I think it is uh, another duplicate. Dude, I am dying right now because you guys, I sent Michelle the questions I was going to ask her beforehand. She doesn't answer any question, right? Like it was just an idea of what the questions are going to be. There's no responses except for I ask, what are some of Nader's icks? Please tell me why she lists like seven icks and I'm dying. 
So they had to ask him. I was like, let me make notes. I forgot that you could see this. It's a shared note. I thought that I was just making notes for myself. I'm dying. So go ahead. Please tell us what are some of Nathers. Let me read these. He said, complaining without a solution. So people that just like complain, complain, but don't want like a way out. Um, not following through on your word. So saying you're going to do something and then not doing it. Tell me why when he said that I was like, oh, I do that. I know. <laughs> like, like, wait, me? <laughs> am I the problem? Because a part of what he was referring to is like, he hates when I make plans and then bail on them last minute. But I'm just, that's just how I operate. I have to learn to not make the plans in the first place. Everything sounds like a good idea three days before it happens. Exactly. You get me leaving the house late so you see how I was like do you hate me like are all your icks me no normal chores not being done or dishes being where they shouldn't be he always gets pissed at like his siblings if there's like a a a plate or a glass or something in like the bedroom and not in the kitchen he's just such a stickler for that that's Um, a Capricorn thing because woozy with the dishes too or like chores like things have to be like maintained very well for him and then not brushing your teeth at night if there's ever been a time where I've been so exhausted in pregnancy that I just pass out I get up because I know this man's voice is gonna haunt me in my sleep if I don't get up and brush my teeth which like obviously you should brush your teeth but I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to front here and be like, there aren't times when you just want to pass out without washing your face or brushing your teeth. Of course. Of it course. Happens. Like if if someone says that they've done that every single day of their life, they're a liar, except for not there. Exactly. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Can I tell you the funniest thing of this though? I love that you gave me what not there's actual icks are. I meant what are your nicks in nicks? What are your <laughs> icks about not there? But I love this. oh my god what's so funny is so we were at our anniversary dinner and I was like oh hey I need to know what your icks are and he's like what are icks and I had to explain it to him and then he was like why are you asking me this and I told him how I was doing your podcast and then um I was like don't you want to know what mine are like he didn't even ask me and then he's like okay tell me and tell me why I couldn't think of even one are you serious I was sitting there being like, uh, and then I Googled it. We go through my, my phone search history. I literally looked up list of icks. <laughs> I was like, oh, you had this one. <laughs> what was the one you found? It didn't apply to Nader though. Oh. And this man too was taking it um, personally where he was like, I don't do that. And I was like, I didn't say it was about you, but okay. I pulled up my Google search again. Number one smelling bad Mm. i cannot stand it if you don't smell like you've showered i can't be near you it really bothers me being rude to waiters Mm. this isn't to do with another so i don't know if i should keep going but being rude to waiters is my biggest pet peeve i can't i can't i can't stand it i think it's the worst thing um and i'll just give you one more having bad teeth do you know what I mean? Uh, yes, I total teeth is a big one. When it's there, if they're not, if they're yellow, if they're like markedly yellow and you're drinking coffee, not out of a straw, it's going to, it's going to hurt me inside. Like I, I have to say something. You know, what's even what, what bugs me about that is when we watch TV and like a 
actress on Netflix. Why are your teeth yellow? That drives me absolutely insane. There is no reason you should be on TV and not having teeth whitener. A thousand percent. And that's it. Like, obviously, you know, how they line up or all of that. There's some things that you can't necessarily do too much about unless you're like going out of your way to do it. But like just hygiene perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, if you had to pick one store or restaurant that you'd have access to in Canada, what would it be? This one I put for you. I thought you would love this question. Trader Joe's. Yeah. Oh, how was your Trader Joe's experience? It was heavenly. I bought, actually, I bought so much and then half of it ended up being such a flop. Mm. Like I bought a bunch of truffle pasta sauces. They were way too truffly. Or I bought a bunch of organic pastas that turned into mush. Those are like my biggest complaints. But the store is just so exciting to walk through. <laughs> Me and Nather drove to Buffalo, <laughs> which is like an hour and a half away from Toronto, twice in this pregnancy, so that I could go to Trader Joe's and Target. By the way, that would be my second store. I thought you would say Target first, but yeah, Trader Joe's. It's exciting, and you walk through, and I there are like certain things that are really good staples, like because you've been into. I know you're a croissant girly because I see it all the time, and same. But the almond croissants from Trader Joe's are absolutely. What's your and another's next dream vacation? Oh man, so this wouldn't necessarily be a vacation, but we want to go live in Bali for a bit. And we really were like, let's just go live for like three months. I love that. I hope you guys do that. I really do. I okay, your dream collab. So you sent me this this question list in advance, and I did think about it, but I really can't think of what my dream collab would be. But if I could name one. My niches are so spread. So I would say maybe like Aura Ring. Oh, okay. Love a collab with them. I would love a collab with <laughs> like Crate and Barrel Kids. <laughs> so I could just go full mom mode, a stroller company. That would be a lot of fun to me. Actually, actually, I just thought of one something that allows me to travel. So we've done hotel collabs before, Nather and I. Any hotel collab that takes me to anywhere warm and tropical and beautiful, that would be my dream. We're manifesting. Yeah, I feel like those are very tangible collabs. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you, do you have a birthing plan? <sighs> okay, so my birthing plan was to really try and wait for whenever baby wants to come, everything to be very natural, no inductions, no epidural. I just wanted it to be as natural and raw of a process as possible. I want to be, I want to be in a trance. I want to give birth like my all. I want to be so present. I want to be standing or on all fours. I do not want to be on my bed. I want to let my body do what a woman's body was made to do. And that was all prior to my rib being dislocated. Oh my gosh. Now I am in so much pain that I do not know how I'm going to accomplish any of that. And so my only hope is that I keep getting chiropractic care to kind of subdue it, except the chiropractic relief lasts like a couple of days and then it wears off again. And so because I don't know when the baby's going to come, it's kind of just all up in the air. My intention was, like I said, but 
I'm not going to lie. I went to my OB last week and I begged her for a C-section and she laughed at my face and basically said like, you're 34 weeks. Like (laughs) you're not having a C-section. Like what you want me to give you one tomorrow? I'm like, no, just can you, can you give me one when the time comes? Because I don't think that I can do this. And she was like, listen, just get an epidural instead. So I might end up compromising and getting the epidural as much as I really hoped not to, just because I want to be able to labor and I'll accomplish that however I need to, but it's getting challenging now. I cannot believe you have a dislocated rib Mm -hmm. because of this baby. It's Michael, Michael Jordan. I did. I texted her saying her baby's a second Michael Jordan because he's just bouncing up and inside her uterus. Even in this call, I'm filming on my computer and he's been bouncing around so much that the computer kept shifting and you didn't notice, but I was like holding my belly down so that it wouldn't knock you off. Um, Okay. What's the big piece, biggest piece of advice you would give to women that are lost in their wellness journey on that vicious cycle, gaining weight, losing weight and um, everything that comes with being on an American or Desi diet. What's the biggest piece of advice? Obviously, your coaching is huge. And I am a big advocate of your coaching because you helped me understand so much about my health that I could not have had answers to. And just the piece of knowing that there's a template and format to follow, it it's so much easier than the guessing game. It's so worth the investment. It helps to do so much more than just losing weight. And the timeline that you're able to make these changes in, it's absolutely incredible. Like I have fallen off, gotten back on, and I have been able to see changes in myself each and every single time. And I know I have something to fall back on. So that's my little spiel about the coaching. But what do you feel like this is a first step for people to take? I think to really journal about what your intake is in terms of all things. So not only food, but the energy that is around you, the habits that you have, the things that you consume in terms of like media. Do you wake up and look at your phone and scroll media first thing in the morning? Does that actually take like 20 minutes of your day that you could have been, you know, prepping a breakfast in or taking a walk, just doing a thorough audit of your life and looking for the areas that don't align with a reflection of what you want your life to look like. So make two lists, what your life actually looks like in a day and what your dream life would look like in a day and then compare the two Mm -hmm. and just do that for yourself. You don't have to show anyone, but you do have to be honest. If we aren't honest about those things, we don't have any data points to work off of. And I think the biggest challenge is we get so lost and caught up in habits and reflexive actions that we lose sight of what's actually going on at any given moment and kind of underestimate the things that we're doing that aren't necessarily leading anywhere good. So for example, do a simple audit of how many things you consume in a day that aren't just raw of the earth. How many things come from packages? How many things have, you know, have been boxed and have a bunch of additives in them? Make a list of those things. Make a list of what you do that gives you life and energy and what you do that actually leaves you feeling depleted. That applies to people that you hang out with too. Who do you hang out with that makes you feel happy and alive and light? Who do you hang out with that makes you feel heavy afterwards and needing to reset? So on and so forth. And 
keeping track of that is a, a really simple but surefire way to start illuminating the different areas of your life where you think you don't have control over those factors, but you really do. Because there are things you don't have control over, but there are absolutely factors that you can sway in your favor if you can identify them. Okay. I love that. I'm going to do that for myself, actually. Like, So you're writing down all the things that you're doing right now and somewhere else on another piece of paper, you're writing down your dream person, your who you aspire to be, what your life and you want your day to look like every single day to create the life that you want. And then taking a look at like, this is such a simple but effective solution. And if you're serious, it's something that would work looking at all the packaged foods you have at home versus the raw foods you have at home and being really honest with yourself about what that ratio is, and then maybe just moving in one direction and seeing what that does for you. I actually use the word ratio all the time because I don't believe in eliminating food groups. I don't believe in like eliminating bread or all out cutting out sugar, any of that. I don't think it's sustainable. And it's kind of extreme, but especially at the beginning, it's far easier for you to just concentrate on the ratios of which foods you're consuming. So is your plate built off of starchy carbohydrates primarily, and then a little protein, and then a little less um, portion size of vegetables? And do you know that it should be absolutely the opposite? Your base should be your vegetables. Then it should be your protein and a good amount of that too. And the carbohydrates or the starchy carbohydrates should be a condiment. And if you just think about that, it's not about cutting out anything. It's just shifting how much of each thing you're having. How many of those things are protein packed? How many of those are vegetable or fruit packed? How many of those things are processed or starchy carbohydrates or empty juices or things that don't necessarily have any nutritional value? How much of each of those things are you filling up on? And just notice it. Don't change anything, but notice it so that when you come out of ETH or you come out of you know, this week or whatever it is, whichever point of view you're listening from, you have a data point to work off of. Yeah. And so this will be actually right after eat. So I feel like it'll be a point where people are looking forward to summer and they're looking towards, okay, I want to get in shape. There's only two months left or one month left. What can I do? So those are really good points. And where you're saying Sari and Athar, just guys replace it with breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? And take the same points into consideration. Right. That was awesome. Um, last question. What's one thing about you that you want people to take away from this episode? I think I want people to take away the fact that I'm really living the dream. And I'm living the dream in a way, not that it's something I brag about, but that it's something I encourage you to go after. Because if for whatever reason you feel like that dream is unattainable for you, or if you feel like you don't know what the future holds, or you're figuring yourself out, or there's these, these desires that you're running after, and you're hoping to find a partner to run with you, or the strength to do it yourself, or the support to you know go along this journey with you, or whatever it is, if there's some kind of separation between where you are and where you want to be, know that it's possible, but you have to keep the the North Star that drives you clear for you from the very beginning. And as long as you do that, absolutely anything is possible. People call it lucky girl syndrome. People call it manifestation. I call it most good, least harm. 
if you are putting that much good into the world and you are going out of your way to do the least amount of harm and leave such a clean footprint, the universe will answer to you. You will attract abundance and you can attract abundance in ways that you don't even know are possible or maybe you've never been encouraged to think is possible, but it is coming. So dare to dream, dare to ask for it, dare to fight for it, but do so kindly and everything that you want can be yours. Yeah.